Welcome to Commercial Real Estate Matters, your go-to source for the latest industry news and insights. We bring you up-to-date information on the real estate market and discuss the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to help you make informed decisions. And now, we invite you to join us as we explore the exciting world of commercial real estate. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Commercial Real Estate Matters. I'm your host, John Powell, with Phoenix Commercial Properties, based in Raleigh, North Carolina. And today, we're joined by someone who has been involved in economic development for almost 25 years. Chris Chung became CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina in January of 2015. And prior to that, Chris served in a similar role as president and CEO for the Missouri Partnership for more than seven years. Chris has been highly successful in the recruitment and retention of industry throughout his career and has been responsible for bringing thousands and thousands of jobs and landing billions in investment dollars to the states he represents. Chris, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. And we're excited to talk with you and just walk down the trail of economic development around our great state here in North Carolina. Sure. Good to be with John. Well, we're excited to just spend some time with you. Chris, you have traveled around the globe several times. And if I recall, you and I actually met at an economic development event. I'm going to say it was six or seven years ago, maybe, down in Johnson County when a mutual friend, Chris Johnson, held an economic development day at the Johnson County Speedway. Right. I, I think that's where we first met. That sounds about right. I remember it was a beautiful day. It was a Chamber of Commerce day. Well, we have lots of beautiful days in North Carolina, so you have to be more specific. But yes, it probably was a lovely day. Exactly. And the one thing I knew when we checked in that this was going to be a fun event because they gave everybody earplugs. And I didn't even know what to expect, but that was a fun time. And I still remember that was where you and I kind of got The one with the drags racing, right? Was that a Gallup Motor Speedway? Is that the one? Yeah. remembering this event? Yeah, yeah sure. Exactly. Yeah, that was, a, that was a fun event. Yeah, it was wonderful. Chris, your role and the role of your team at EDPNC is to recruit new industry to our state, but also it's crucial that we support existing industry and help them expand. I think we'd all agree that we have a great product to offer perspective and end users throughout North Carolina, but let's look at how North Carolina compares to other areas, both here in North America as well as around the world. It would seem that Historically, the southeastern portion of the United States has been very attractive for business and industry. What do you think makes the southeast so attractive? Well, I think if having done this type of work now, actually this will be year 26, but having done this in three different states, Ohio, Missouri, and North Carolina, I think one of the the secrets, so to speak, for the southeastern states has always been the, the rate of population growth. If you look yes. at what companies are seeking out in a new location – almost always at the top of the list, it's going to be something about workforce availability. And hiring the kinds of workers you need, whatever industry you are, is much easier if you're doing that in a location that's growing faster than a place that may not be growing as quickly or, or in some cases not growing at all. I think the southern states, to some extent, a lot of the mountain west states, they've been able to talk about that population growth as part of their economic development story. And I think that is very much a part of the reason why those regions have historically, at least in the past 30 years, mm -hmm. uh, tended to outperform areas like the West Coast, the Northeast, and of course, the Great Lakes uh, Midwest area where I'm from originally. 
And and from someone I grew up here, so I feel a so fortunate, but yet I'm so spoiled. But then sometimes as I travel, and even as you travel, you see other areas. There's so much opportunity out there. But then sometimes I'm going, why is this area not growing at a rate that we enjoy back home? Sure. And sometimes it is the variables, just as you mentioned. Are there other areas throughout the United States that maybe you see as are gaining traction for new business and are really doing a great job at attracting industry? Well, as you, as you pointed out, the southeastern states, especially when we look at our competitive set, I'd say Tennessee, Georgia, of course, South Carolina, and to some extent, Virginia. Th- those are all our neighboring states, but they're also yes. very much part of the competitive set that we're up against regularly. You look outside of those immediate neighbors, and of course, Texas comes to mind as a okay, state that sure. has a very similar growth trajectory as North Carolina. Maybe the numbers are a little bit bigger because they start off just as a bigger state, but Texas is certainly one of those formidable competitors that also benefits from a lot of population moving to those states. And again, population okay. growth in the South or in Texas or the Mountain West population grows one of two ways, right? You can either have more people born than people die, and that's going to add to your population. That's typically less the way that states grow. States like North Carolina, Texas, we are growing through what's called in-migration. People who move here from another part of the country, not immigration, that's a different thing, but in-migration, yes. people like myself who moved here from somewhere else, and roughly half of the, the people over 18 in North Carolina were actually born somewhere else outside the state, but have since moved here and again, that's a big part of how our population continues to grow in an attractive way for employers. Which is also healthy growth, I would imagine. It depends on who you ask. I mean, yes. we, I was joking with some colleagues at lunch today just asking how they describe their jobs to the people that they know. And they just described some half-joking feedback they get from people when they say that they're involved in helping bring companies here. They'll sometimes uh, remark in jest, oh, you're you're the who's to blame for the fact that more people move here and houses are more expensive and traffic is worse. So it depends on who you ask, but generally... You'd rather have an economy and population that are growing than you would an economy that is stagnant or even shrinking. Absolutely. And I'll oftentimes joke with some friends, and I can say this with friends, oftentimes is they'll move here and they begin to enjoy the quality of life that we have and the amenities that we all enjoy. Mm -hmm. And then before you know it, they're moving their brother, their sister, their mom, their dad. Well, then they start to complain about the traffic patterns or the growth that we have. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're helping sure. with that growth. But it right. is we're so fortunate to be in this in an area that we really are thriving. We're not surviving. For the most part, yes, that's right. Yes. As we focus on North Carolina, share with our listeners, really, what do you think makes our state overall, from Murphy to Manio, so to speak, what makes our state so desirable? Well, it really depends on who you're talking to, right? Desirability is, is of course, dependent on the audience that you want to be desirable to. So sure. for a lot of our work, of course, that's in the vein of trying to get companies to expand or locate here. And they're looking at issues around, of course, like I said, workforce. And so what is that pool of talent that they can hire from? Is that pool of talent growing and expanding over time, or is it flat or shrinking? That, As I said, that is one of the biggest calling cards that a state like North Carolina wants to play. Companies are also looking at things like the cost of doing business. Yes, so what are the absolutely. cost of wages? What is the cost of construction or real estate? What are tax rates looking like both for the company but for individual employees? 
you look at regulations, of course, you look at location and transportation logistics. I mean, there's a lot of different variables that go into that decision on where companies go. And I think, generally speaking, we do very well across all of those. And it's not just mm-hmm. us saying that. Mm-hmm. You look at CNBC, probably the best known ranking of okay. state business climates. Of course, CNBC very known for being a financial news outlet, but every year they publish their best states to do business. And North Carolina is very fortunate to have gotten the number one ranking this past year. And that's a great third-party validation that is not just economic developers saying we're a great state. It's this very impartial media outlet that has looked at hundreds of variables and arrived at the conclusion that of all the 50 states, North Carolina is the most attractive business climate of the entire country. And the, the marketing value of a ranking like that is pretty incalculable. It's something that just lets us remind our audience why we're such a great place to do business. I love that. In fact, I remember our marketing team, we had a project down in Johnson County that we were trying to, if you will, advertise to a broad-based audience to recruit quality jobs and industry. And we chose that one issue, if you will, of the magazine to have an ad for this for this new project. Right. And it was such a great opportunity to participate in an area publication or a national publication. Mm-hmm. That was really promoting the state sure. as a whole. That's right. And we received great feedback just from that one that one advertisement. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, as you and your colleagues at EDPNC field inquiries and respond to RFPs from interested parties around the globe, what are the most consistent factors that seem to drive their decisions once you've had a chance to really, if you will, tender a response to the need? A lot of the times before companies even reach out to organizations like ours, they've done a little bit of that data analysis. And typically that data analysis is going to be around big picture trends in population and workforce. Again, not to sound like a broken record, but that workforce component is such an important part of the decision for companies in growth mode of, of any industry. By the time they engage groups like ours, they are looking for very specific location needs Sometimes real estate is going to be at the heart of that. Now, if you look at the the deal flow that we're involved in right now, 240, give or take, individual projects that we're competing for, 90% of those are industrial users. So manufacturing, food processing, warehouse distribution, I would would classify data centers as an industrial user. And all of those types of users will have a physical real estate requirement. They, They can't virtualize manufacturing, so they need a site to build on or they need an empty building to move into. And so sometimes the search is as elemental as that. It's, hey, North Carolina, you check out from a labor standpoint, at least at the big picture, we're still gonna have more granular questions, but at a big picture analysis, the labor environment seems like a good fit. You're in a good sweet spot for us logistically, that also checks the box. Now we need to understand where specifically in North Carolina could we cite this operation in the timetable and budget that we need. And that's oftentimes a real estate need at the end of the day. It's a site, it's a building, some combination of those two. And it speaks to the importance of what we call product availability in the economic development world. And so that will oftentimes be one of those drivers right out of the gate that companies are leaning on us to help them identify There may be specific relationships that they're trying to tap into, perhaps proximity to a major research university. There may be a customer or supplier that's nearby that they want to be as close as possible to. You're going to have basically different requirements and preferences for every single company that we talk to. But generally speaking, 
the calls that we get oftentimes start with that very specific question around where in North Carolina does this make sense based on our unique operating needs. And that parlays into some questions that I even have thought about in terms of how sites are chosen or regions are chosen. But over the past few years, as we've seen supply chain issues probably affect projects, and certainly more recently, interest rates uh, have been on the rise. Have those two issues seemed to also impact decisions? Or when someone's looking at coming, they, they, can, they can work around those challenges, if you will. I don't know that I've seen it affect a tremendous amount of our deal flow. There are certainly unique situations involving a particular company that has had to either change their plan. So if they engaged us, for example, to say, we're looking at setting up a new factory for such and such product, we will from time to time hear from those companies who are putting a pause on their search or just okay. flat out canceling those capital investment plans altogether because of something related to supply chain or more recently, inflationary pressures around the cost of construction mm -hmm. and materials. Again, not enough to be a trend that affects a vast majority of our projects or even a small minority of our deals. More individual cases here and there where, whatever reason, the company has had to change the plans that they first engaged with us about. So that's encouraging if you're looking for signs that these issues are causing problems or slowing down capital investment. We just aren't seeing a whole lot of that from where we sit. But that's not to say it doesn't happen from time to time with very specific situations. And I started to say a lot of times the availability of product or access to labor or that quality of life, they, those drivers may overcome a challenge, whether it be supply chain or certainly an interest rate. It, it can. I will say that one of the bottlenecks or roadblocks, I should say, for a lot of our communities Again, we're out there marketing North Carolina and Correct. positioning North Carolina as a place, but of course we've got 100 counties and we've got 1,000 municipalities and towns and whatnot. And for some of our local partners, the real roadblock is they may have a great, they may be sitting on the intersection of 95 and 74 or 40 and 85, and they have a wonderful location from which a, pro, a company could supply the industry. But if they don't have that building that's ready to go or they don't have that industrial site that can be developed right. in the timetable yes. a company needs, that can be a very legitimate bottleneck that keeps that community out of the conversation for a company. And so that's why we continue to hit that product availability drum as something that is one of the surefire ways that a community can stay in the mix as an option for company investment. That is something that we have seen. I'm in my 31st year being in commercial real estate locally. And one of the things that we have gone through multiple cycles, but would be product availability and or lack thereof. Right. Even if the building's not on the ground, just having a shovel-ready site, just having a site with plans that have already been reviewed and or approved, right. having a municipality that will actually work with the applicant to maybe streamline that approval process. That's right in advance so that they can, that timeline often, oftentimes is really what we've seen be a huge obstacle. And I've got to be in my building by X date. Right. How can you help me get there? Right. Absolutely. Um, you just touched on the counties. I believe there are 100 counties in our state of North Carolina. Yep. And I believe these counties for economic development purposes are assigned to regions, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I want to say there are maybe seven regions within our state for economic development purposes. When a company comes to you, 
Do they typically already, and you touched on this a moment ago, do they typically already know where they want to land? And so you will immediately begin dialogue with those municipalities and those economic development leaders to see how you can craft a potential solution? That's a great question, John. I would say a lot of the time companies come with some understanding, at least of the markets in North mm-hmm. Carolina, of interest to them. And, and that's usually driven by things like and maybe they need a labor market of a certain size within okay. 45 minutes of whatever location we're proposing. And of course, that's going to rule out some of the smaller areas, unfortunately. Maybe a company is international or international air travel is very important. So the, sure. the filtering criteria for them is we've got to be within 30 minutes of an airport with direct mm-hmm. international service, which again takes out all but essentially Raleigh, Durham, and, and Charlotte. It will really depend. I will say that when companies don't come with an idea of what's in North Carolina and which markets they want to be in, then they really are leaning on our knowledge of the product, of, of in this case, product being North Carolina as a location. Yes. They're looking to our team to understand, to, to take that company's requirements and preferences and to find locations that best fit those parameters. And I, I think our team genuinely enjoys those situations the most because in some ways they are acting as that advisor or site selection expert who can help that company at least navigate the state of North Carolina. And it's a, it presents a great opportunity for us to pitch areas of the state that maybe sometimes get overlooked. I'd say a lot of times when companies come and they insist on looking in the Triangle or in Charlotte – Sometimes that's for very good business case reasons. Again, maybe something like an international airport or a certain population size. Other times, it may be that those are the only markets that they're really familiar with if they're outside of North Carolina. And that's not just national companies. That's certainly international companies who, again, if I were to ask you to name a province in China or Canada or name a prefecture in Japan, most Americans probably hard pressed to do that, let alone what are the major cities within that province or prefecture. And that's somewhat of the challenge that international companies have when they're coming here to the United States. They're navigating 50 states, they're navigating hundreds of counties per state and thousands of municipalities. They may have heard of the research triangle. They probably have heard of Charlotte. Again, not always guaranteed, but those are more likely to be better known. But once you even start hitting areas like Greensboro, Asheville, Wilmington, Fayetteville, Greenville, Rocky Mount, Hickory, wherever, then that awareness really falls off a cliff, not just with international companies, but oftentimes even with other American firms that just aren't familiar with the geography of our state, let alone what each community could offer as a business location. So in those situations, we have a tremendous opportunity to help that company understand all of what North Carolina has to offer and guide them towards the location that's going to make the best sense for them based on what they're looking for. And I love that whole analogy. Almost if I were coming here, there are several things. We all want quality of life. We all want affordable housing. We all want access to entertainment and these tangibles, if you will. But I love it when I'm going to say you're maybe giving kind of a blank palette and you truly can promote our state and perhaps look for opportunities in a tier one area, as well as certainly a tier three area that is already maybe blessed with a little more opportunity. Sure. But sometimes that is where some sites might be driven, if you will, or be available. We're seeing, and certainly as the Triangle region continues to grow, areas that were maybe 45 minutes away, mm-hmm. 50 minutes away that used to seem so far away. Right. Now it's a convenient drive. Yeah, It's a three, four, 
phone call drive that's kind of therapeutic. Right. It's, it's a good way will. to measure time, right? Yeah. It, it is. And so we're really seeing those areas as being tremendous solutions for some of the customers that we're working with. Yeah, that's a great point. And so that that's a lot of what we see in our work. And as I said, it's those situations where companies are really leaning us on us to help them explore the full breadth of North Carolina. Those are the situations I suspect our team finds most rewarding. They're all rewarding, but those are great because it really leans on the expertise and knowledge of our sales team to identify the best locations that fit what that company needs. We love hearing that because, again, you and your team of 75, 80-plus colleagues, if you will, are truly here to promote the entire state. Right. And I would think that would give you a, a lot of joy as well as a sense of accomplishment to where you can see where you have planted businesses really where they need to be and not where you want them to be. We always look at things. We want you to go where you can thrive. Sure. We don't want you to survive. Right. And and I love the whole analogy that you had mentioned. We know you and your team at EDPNC are mighty busy these days, and you just mentioned some numbers a second ago. Uh, I know y'all continually receive inquiries and are working with a number of prospective end users, but maybe share with our audience again some potential jobs that might be in the pipeline and even some potential investment dollars that y'all are looking at right now. And of I course. know it ebbs and flows of course. from time to time. Yeah, the, the numbers it, this week may be completely different from the numbers last week and, and next week. It really just depends on what those calls are that come in on a regular basis. And, and remember that the attraction of businesses in from outside the state is really just one part of a much bigger economic development mission that we serve for the state. We're also responsible for tourism promotion for North Carolina, getting leisure travelers to come here, export assistance, supporting the growth of existing firms, and, and even small business counseling for would-be entrepreneurs. Unfortunately, those functions tend to get much less of the limelight. People, whether it's podcasts like this or speaking commitments, they almost always go straight to the business recruitment aspect of our job because it garners the most headlines, right? When a big company comes in and cuts the ribbon on a new facility, that just tends to get a lot more visibility. But it's not That's the true. only way we can do economic development in the state. But in terms of what's in the pipeline right now for business recruitment, as I said, about 240, give or take, active projects. So those are companies, conversations with companies that are not just thinking about a new location, they have very defined timetables, mm -hmm. a specific capital investment budget, specific job creation plans, and they are planning to act within the next 12 to 24 months. For us, that's what an active project looks like. And of course, they have to be looking in North Carolina. If we were to win all 240 of those deals, you're talking something like 85 to 90,000 potential jobs that would be created by Tremendous. those 240 companies. Now, we won't bet 1,000. Sure. I think historically, on those types of deals, we we're batting between 250 and 300, not because we're losing the other 70, 75%, but sometimes plans change and companies just cancel or delay their plans. But even if we just win a quarter of those deals, that's a tremendous amount of job creation potential being brought in by these companies. Uh, Investment-wise, I think it's something like 100 billion cumulative total investment that these 240 deals represent. And again, that's property tax base for the communities that land these projects. That's tremendous. And in Major League Baseball, you're in the Hall of Fame if you're hitting 250-300. I suspect that would be a pretty good career batting average. And again, that ebbs and flows. There are the times when we're on a, a tear and other times where, unfortunately, we're reading headlines of, of these companies going to other states that we compete with. And, of course, that's, that's never fun to see that. 
No, and again, we always appreciate the opportunities, but oftentimes we learn from our losses just as much, or if not more, than we learn Agreed. from sometimes I, our victories. I actually remember the losses a lot more than I do the wins. I, I'm that's, with you, That's Chris. maybe the competitive side of me. You just touched on something that I would love to know more about. I have a daughter who's a senior in high school, and she's going to be going to college for theater arts, if you will. Yeah. And I look at our state as Wilmington, for example, that all the the movie studios are down there and mm-hmm. or the production that's there. Sure. I look at uh, the, the School Western of the Arts part of, in Greensboro. Exactly. Yep. And the western part of our state in Asheville. Do you see us continuing to be able to hopefully thrive in that sector as well for not only tourism, but certainly for the, I'll call it the arts, both the visual Uh, the movies and TV? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, I think the arts play an incredibly important role in that quality of life equation for for just about anybody, whether your deal is movies, whether it's outdoor theater, whether it's Broadway, whether it's live music. I mean, everybody's a little bit different, but I think our lives are enriched by having more access to the arts than vice versa. Well said. And so quality of life, if, if that is an important element for communities to offer because that allows people to stay or move to an area, then of course that deepens the workforce pool and that's good for attracting employers. In terms of the specific functions in the arts that make up a lot of economic development that we would interact with, we are, as part of our tourism function, we are responsible for trying to recruit film and TV productions here. So we work a lot with the film studio down in Wilmington, other film commissions around the state in an effort to get in front of Hollywood companies and other movie and TV producers to try to get feature films and TV series shot here in North Carolina because that's going to employ local cast and crew. It's going to provide money to local businesses like catering firms. It is economic development. Just it looks very different than what most people think of. Right. Absolutely. I love that. I know historically we've had a lot of success with the movie industry and certainly with television. And I just think that we have a wonderful landscape that hopefully that'll continue for years on. I think so. We we have retooled our incentive program to attract film and TV production. That's That's been a work in progress over the past several years. But we had a record year in 2022 when it came to film and TV production here in the state. Really? Just, what we have figured out over time, and not to get too granular, but some states, their incentive toolbox allows them to compete to get the really big box, big big budget feature films. Okay. Think you're, I don't, I'm not a Marvel person, but all the all the Marvel movies and spinoffs, they, those cost a lot to make. And the way sure. that these incentives work in some states is that is a really attractive package. Our incentives are better geared for getting things like a, a serial TV series. So something that unspools over three or four seasons and we bring them back every year to, to film here or something that's more like a mid-range feature film, call it 25 to, to $40 million production budget. Just for very granular reasons, our incentives are really well situated to capture that kind of activity. And that's where a lot of that success happened in 2022. I love the long-range benefit of having something that would be here for seasons, as you just mentioned. I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah, we're always waiting with bated breath when a a pilot has shot here in North Carolina, and we're waiting to see if that production company gets it renewed for a second season, because we know that if that happens, they're coming back and spending more money in our economy. Oh, absolutely. As we pivot back to kind of industry and job creation, one of the things that I love, oftentimes we talk about recruitment, retention, and expansion in our office at Phoenix Commercial. And I know a big part of what y'all do is certainly help existing industry expand. And how can you help them grow? In terms of pipeline numbers and the number of, 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 if you will, potential projects in your pipeline, 
are expansions typically maybe a minor portion mm-hmm. of that? And if if it is, is can you give us an idea of, of how significant? That's a good question, John. I'd say the, the existing industry team is out every day. We, we, we actually divide our state into eight regions for the purpose of what we do. Okay. Some, some groups use seven, others use eight. It really doesn't matter. It's, it's all the same state at the end of the day. But just for administrative purposes, we have someone covering each of eight territories in North Carolina. And that person's job in each of those eight regions is to call on existing employers every day, oftentimes in the manufacturing industrial space, and sit down with a plant manager or a site lead or a company president and basically just sit down like this and say, hey, John, what are your challenges running this business? What roadblocks are you running into? What might hold you back from growing further and adding more jobs here over the long term? And then the job of our team is to listen to that and figure out in their toolbox of resources, programs, and services, do we have anything that we could connect this company to that would allow them to overcome that roadblock so that they can continue growing here in North Carolina. Sometimes those conversations will uncover actual expansions where a company is specifically thinking adding a production line and making X amount of investment and adding number of jobs. When that's the case, that rolls up in that bigger pipeline of activity. So if those 240 projects I talked about, about a quarter involve incumbent employers, existing companies who are thinking about expanding their operations here. The other 75% would be new to North Carolina business recruitment projects. I've always thought once you land the customer and they've invested, whether they've invested $100,000 or $100 million, it is significant dollars to them. And we want to be respectful of that investment. That's right. Once they're here, I've always felt it would certainly be much easier to help them grow and expand rather than the true recruitment because their families are here, their relationships are here, and this, that, and the other. Sure. But I love the fact that y'all's team is truly focused and dedicated on that aspect of what y'all do. Yeah. That's commendable. That's right. I mean, to your point, it is much easier once you've got them here. You you don't have to woo them again on all the charms and merits of North Carolina. They know that. It's why they've located or or started here. But we never want to take it for granted either, which is why we have these efforts in place to understand, Mm -hmm. is there anything we can do to help them continue to be a good part of North Carolina's economy? I love that. We talk about transportation, certainly from the road corridors to the air corridors, but how often does rail play into the equation these days? I oftentimes think that rail is such a great benefit, and it's probably pretty economical. Does that play into a lot of the assignments as well? If we look at our stats for projects, I would say probably about 25% of the time, maybe 20 20 to 30, let's call it, where rail service is either a requirement for a company or it's a a strong preference. And a lot of that has to do with what kind of products and what kind of operation are they looking to site here. Plenty of industry industries that get by with just truck transportation. Okay. Others, just by nature of the the weight of the product or the specific type of input or finished product, rail makes a whole lot more sense. That's and of course, you've got about. things like intermodal, which allow a company to tap into both rail and, and ro- over-the-road transportation. It really just depends. But historically, on average, I think about one out of every four projects has some sort of preference or need for rail service at their site. Okay. And we're blessed with two really wonderful ports here in North Carolina with Moorhead City and the port down in Wilmington. How about proximity or access to ports? And is that sector of economic development continuing to grow? 
I would say for port access, it's probably going to be even less frequent of a okay. demand for companies that we deal with than rail. I probably call it maybe one out of every 10 where it they, they need right. to be adjacent to or very close to a port. That doesn't mean they're not using some port to move finished product out or some part of their raw materials in. It's just it's not necessarily a site selection criteria that drives where they physically set up operations. Yes, the ports are very important to the container port down in Wilmington, the bulk port in Moorhead City, yes. both very critical. But that doesn't always translate into a company that approaches us and says, I need to be right next door to that port. That would be a very specialized user, usually in some form of warehouse distribution, mm -hmm. cold mm -hmm. chain. That, that type of operation would need something relatively close to, if not right there on site at the port. And we just don't see a lot of those projects. Okay. As we look closer at the Research Triangle region, bringing things really closer to our area, it would really seem that we are well positioned for long-term prosperity. What makes the Triangle region so vibrant and so attractive to industry from a global pr perspective? Well, we've already talked about the the talent pool. And yes. when you look at the the both the number and the qualifications of people who continue to move here from somewhere else, those are both impressive statistics. I mean, it, it's the, the numbers are are make the, the Triangle region among one of the fastest growing metros in the country yes. in terms of growth. You dig down deeper and you you find out that while we get our share of retirees who move to areas like the Triangle for things like healthcare access, the the median age of relocated you know transplants in migration tends to skew pretty young i think early 30s give or take and it might be slightly younger for the triangle region and that's great for an employer because they have they have many many more years in the workforce ahead of them and they tend to also be fairly well educated typically at least some college yes. maybe here in the triangle region it might actually be like a four year Mm -hmm. educational mm -hmm. degree attainment. And those are all great statistics if you're an employer thinking about where you're going to expand and, and hire from. That's part of it. Of course, I think the fact that it's remained a fairly affordable place to live. Now, housing prices have gone up. They're, they can be challenging. A, a year ago at this time, it was really crazy. I think it's cooled off a little bit Agreed. with what interest rates have done. But Agreed. still, at some point, it's going to get back to that situation where People are just bidding on houses sight unseen, and it's causing housing prices just really expensive. But relatively, it's still a very affordable place to live. And then quality of life, while it's a very subjective term, generally this area does very well on metrics like public safety, healthcare, school quality, weather, all of those types of things. That would typically be part of someone's quality of life evaluation. And then add to that the four you know, the three major universities that yes. continue to graduate talent, many of whom would like to stay here. That All of that we contributes that. to a pretty dynamic, vibrant economic climate, which I think just makes it that much easier for people and companies to move to this part of the world. Uh, I second everything you said, Chris. We're, we're very fortunate to live in this area specifically. When you're in sales, we all typically try to focus on the positive attributes of our product, but certainly we do need to look at some negative aspects. Looking ahead for North Carolina, what challenges maybe come top of mind or challenges that maybe you think that we will face as a state? Certainly, I think you could categorize most of the challenges around the corner for us as challenges related to growth. That's not true of everywhere in North Carolina because sure. not everywhere in the state is growing uniformly as fast as places like the Triangle are. But especially in the Triangle and Charlotte, 
and to some extent, some of our other major areas in the state, yes. this constant flow of incoming population, in-migration, businesses coming in, that creates additional demand and strain on the housing supply. It creates additional demand and strain on the school systems. It creates additional demand on the, the transportation infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to make sure that that growth doesn't end up creating a liability for the region in terms of compromising quality of life, it's really up to a lot of local officials as well working with their state partners to try oh, to figure yeah. out how do we fund schools, how do we fund roads and bridges, how do we fund uh, housing supply in a way that doesn't allow that growth to ultimately become a negative. Because we, we all love the quality of life that we have living in North Carolina, and we don't want our success to somehow inadvertently erode our own quality of lives. That, that would be a, a big irony to, to this type of work. And so it's, not, it's easier for me to say that. It's, it's a lot harder to figure out what those policies end up looking like. But as long as our policymakers and elect officials keep that front and center, like, hey, let's try to make sure we stay ahead of problems that result from our fast growth and our economic success, then you, you hope that they come together in some solutions that can address those things long-term. But it's much easier said than done. Chris, if I may, I want to touch base on that. You just mentioned municipalities. I oftentimes think some municipalities are so proactive in kind of getting themselves in the game or they're so forward-thinking in how they will go ahead and invest in infrastructure within their municipality. And others are oftentimes maybe a little bit more reactive, if you will. We're, we're happy to do it. We just want to wait for you to come. What are some things that municipalities can kind of prepare themselves for to have a better shot at an opportunity or any suggestions that maybe you could even give our listeners who might be some elected officials or who may be potentially running for office in the near future? Well, look, if, if your goal for your community that you're helping to govern is to attract more industry, for example, versus being a, a bedroom community, for lack of better words, and nothing wrong with that. If, if that's the direction your your constituents want the community to go, that's, you got to respect that. But Agreed. if you do want to attract industry and diversify your economy, it, it goes a lot back to product. I think that's one of those things within the control of yeah. local jurisdictions is where which areas of the town or city are we designating for future industrial growth and how do we make sure the infrastructure is there to make that feasible and how do we recruit private sector developers who can help bring that along at an even faster clip i think those are all things that a local community can do to position themselves more effectively beyond that of course is zoning policies and local tax and incentive policies mm -hmm. those can all have a bearing on how attractive that community is for business investment Water and sewer infrastructure, those tend to be probably one of the more noticeable bottlenecks that we've been seeing, especially the size and scale of the industries that are looking around Correct. to locate yes. are very large consumers of, of power, water, and sewer. And some of our local and water and sewer systems are hitting a point where there's not a lot of capacity left without investing tens of millions in upgrading. And that's not if you're trying to recruit a company and there's that uncertainty around whether you can get them the infrastructure they need for water and sewer, that, that can be a good reason for a company to say thanks, but no thanks. Love what you just said. And even at Phoenix Commercial, oftentimes we have a little saying that we're, we're bringing clarity to commercial real estate. Mm. And anytime you can remove that cloud of doubt, right? anytime that you could just check that box with certainty right. rather than uncertainty, 
you've got a lot better chance of securing the 100% opportunity. agree. 100% okay, agree. Wonderful. Chris, you've had a wonderful career and you have many years ahead of you. But if you could share with some of our listeners, what's maybe one of your favorite deals you've had a chance to work on? I would say, well, remember, for the past 15 years now, my role has been more of managing and and developing the organizations that I've served versus being frontline client engagement and working projects. There'll be the occasional big project where it's it's necessary for someone in my position to get involved, and, and I enjoy that. That that is the path that I got into this uh, 26 years ago. I started off on the business recruitment side of the industry, and so I have that experience running projects. It's just it's been a while since I did that day to day. I would say that even though we did not win it. One of the ones that I really enjoyed working on, and again, remember that there's not a huge sample size here in North Carolina (laughs) because we have a very, very capable team that's working these projects. Again, they'll get me involved when I can add value. But the effort to attract these headquarters, back in 2015, they were looking to relocate out of suburban Connecticut, and Raleigh-Durham ended up on the short list. They visited Charlotte and the Triangle here, but just interacting with some of the executives from GE during the course of that. I mean, we had their CFO, global CFO here in the market, as well as their chief HR executive at the time. And just dealing with people who are at that level of corporate America was just fascinating, just whether it was something as simple as what are their personal mannerisms to what are their philosophies on where they should locate their corporate headquarters. That was one of the more unique experiences I've had across, again, a quarter century of doing this. I'd say the other one would have been Amazon when they were out to market for their second headquarters Correct. back in 2017. Yes. That, that was fascinating just to see how Amazon embarked on this very public search for a second home and, and having a chance to get be part of the team that got the triangle, at least into the short list. Again, we didn't win that one. It ended up in Northern Virginia. As I said, I tend to remember the losses a bit more <laughs> than the wins because I do think you learn a little bit more from those situations when you don't come out on top. Looking ahead and as we kind of come to closure, what are some of your top priorities for our state and how do you maybe intend to achieve those goals? I think when it comes to business recruitment, product development, product readiness, those will continue to define whether we can sustain this run of success we've had the past few years. You look at the makeup of projects and deals that we're competing for, and they are there are more big deals and, and bigger deals than what I've ever seen up until these past few years. And those big projects do require a much more significant need when it comes to product. We're, we're talking mega sites, so very large tracts of industrial land yes. that can be developed with the infrastructure and access to workforce to house a, a battery, an EV battery plant or a semiconductor production mm-hmm. plant that's going to employ thousands of people and make billions of dollars of investment. We've been tasked by the governor and legislature to identify those next tranche of mega sites that we could start to get ready so that when we continue to get companies looking in North Carolina for that kind of facility, we can't, we, we're not turning them away because we've run out of product. And we're we're not right about to see that happen, but we have a lot fewer of these mega sites than we used to just three years ago because we've been successful as Correct. a state getting some of those mega sites off the market and into the hands of companies like Toyota and Wolfspeed and VinFast. But so that in order for us to continue competing for that kind of transformative deal, we got to have the product. And so that is one of the biggest priorities we have coming around the bend here in the next several months to a couple of years. It's going to be a long-term process to get these sites identified and get them ready for market. But it's all in service of that notion that we want to have product available when companies come looking here in North Carolina. 
I love the fact that you all are being proactive and that even our governor has challenged you to search for those opportunities so that you can go ahead and secure them. So when they come calling, at least you can present them with a potential solution for the need. That's right. That's right. Chris, I know you're surrounded by an amazing team at EDPNC. Tell us a bit about your team. Well, we have those five very distinct functions I talked about. Business recruitment, which includes some of our business development functions. We've got existing industry. We've got export assistance. We've got small business counseling. And we've got tourism and film promotion. Then, of course, we have internal support teams for marketing, research, finance, and administration. They're all great. I mean, any success people may attribute to me personally and certainly to the organization is not possible with each of those 75 individuals doing what they are asked to do. We also benefit from having a lot of great external partners. So Team North Carolina is not limited to those 75 people who work for the EDPNC. It's all of those local partners. It's regional groups. It's other state agencies that we work with every day, like the Commerce Department, like Environmental Quality, DOT. It's a lot of private sector allies, like Duke Energy and the electric co-ops and the railroad. I mean, just countless partners who not only work with us every day, some of whom actually support us financially. We're very lucky as a nonprofit to win the financial support of utilities, banks, real estate developers, construction companies, because they know that if we do well, it's going to benefit their businesses. And so they support us anywhere from 5000 a year to 50000 a year, and it just gives us more resources to go out there and approach our mission every day. And all of those folks make up the team that I consider to be who we work with every day. That said, yes, I, I'm not anywhere without the the folks who make up that core team at EDPNC, and they're all hardworking. They don't do it for the money. I think they're motivated, I hope, by the fact that if we do our jobs well, at the end of every day, the economic well-being of the 10.5 million people in North Carolina is a little bit better than at the beginning of the day when they started their work. That That's really what our mission is, is to improve that quality of life and economic well-being for the people who call North Carolina home. And that is a powerful motivator for our folks. I'm not sure it gets over the the pay that you, you, you do in the nonprofit <laughs> sector, but yes. Uh, it so far has allowed us to field a really good team that approaches their mission energetically and enthusiastically every day. Chris, we are so thankful for you and your team and those who just have given their their careers, for lack of a better analogy, to growing our state. And oftentimes they are men and women who have lived here for an extended period of time. Other times they are transplants, just like you had mentioned, but they have found that this is truly home. And we could not have success without men and women like yourselves and your team. So we are very thankful for the commitment that y'all continue to make our great state. Thank you. As we close, Chris, how can our listeners follow you and or how can they contact you? Sure. We're, we're on social media like a lot of organizations. Yes. I think our most of our feed, I mean, I think we're on Facebook, Twitter, and, and LinkedIn. I Beyond those, I'm not sure if we're on some you know, things like Instagram and TikTok, but certainly the, the big three, Facebook, Twitter, and, and LinkedIn, we, we regularly post content to about upcoming events or major stories that the economic development community cares about. But that's probably the easiest way. And of course, our through our website is, is always one surefire way to keep track of the latest. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, Chris, thank you again for joining us today on Commercial Real Estate Matters. And we certainly wish you and your team, and all of your families continued health through this. I'll still call it a new year as we are now into the second quarter, but I really think 2023 is going to be a fantastic year for us, and certainly years ahead, I think we're positioned for tremendous growth. I hope so. Thank you for your time, John. I appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in to Commercial Real Estate Matters. We hope you've enjoyed learning about the latest trends and news in the industry. As always, we welcome your feedback and suggestions. Please consider following us on social media or subscribing to this podcast to stay up to date on all the latest news. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to hearing from you.